Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to hear from J.J. Elliott, a brand new author. I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story. It's a personal story. And as somebody who has steeped her professional world in all things writing, it'll be interesting to hear how she came about this as an author. So, J.J., it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Netta. I'm so happy to be here. I know. With our matching glasses. Yes. For those who, of you who can see us, this is not a Caddis ad. But go get them because they're great. It's Yeah, <laughs> they are great. Yeah. They are great. So just tell us, because the book hasn't come out, I have an advanced reader's copy, which you educated me on the acronym. Thank you very much. Yep. Tell us a little bit about the book, the story. Yes. So the book is called There Are No Rules for This. And it is about four women who are in middle age and who are best friends outside of their families, kind of family outside of family. One of them, the one that seemed to have it the most together, very unexpectedly dies by suicide. And as part of the grieving process for the three remaining friends, they decide to hold their own funerals while they're still alive because they never want to have that experience of not saying the things they want to say to somebody they love. And it sounds very heavy and it does deal with some heavy stuff, but it's also full of like a lot of hope and joy and, and laughter mm-hmm. and life kind of like life is. Yeah. <laughs> the good, the bad, the dark and the light. And what informed, if you can share with us, 
this story? How did you land on this to be your subject? So my mother died by suicide when I was a teenager, when I was in high school. And I spent a lot of my 20s really trying to understand because she really was so full of light, how she had gotten to such a dark place. And well, of course, I'll never fully understand, but I worked on the hotlines, the suicide hotlines for a couple of years in LA, talked to a lot of people. And what I learned from the, that experience was that most people who are in a suicidal mindset crisis aren't necessarily wanting to die. They just really are trying to find a way out of their moment of crisis. Mm. And one of the best ways to be out of that is just talking about it. Mm. And yet we live in a country where nobody talks about it. So this book is not about my mother and it's not about me, but it's informed by kind of what I know, which is only a tip of the iceberg. But I hope that it's a pretty authentic representation of what it's like to go through that. Yeah. Well, it's for sure through your lens, which I would say is authentic to you, right? Yeah. One other thing I'll say about that is that I am constantly turning to my husband while we're watching a show and being like, that character is going to kill themselves. And then they do. And he's like, how did you know that? And I'm like, because I can see them setting it up like a plot point. And it's really uh -huh. frustrating to me because that's not how it is in real life. Suicide isn't a plot point, you know, <laughs> and it's not in my book but it happens in my book. It's always given like a, like a silver bullet reason or, you know, like some sort of tidy bow. And I just didn't want that to be the case in, in how I wrote about it. Do you feel like intentional or not that this book is an opportunity, gives you a platform to share not just this story, but to share to bring awareness to people? I mean, how much of that was, this is how I'm going to do this, or is it kind of an unintended result? It's unintended, but now it's very intentional. Yeah. I didn't intend it when I was writing. I was just writing what was in my heart. But I've been writing this book for like 10 years. <laughs> it's been mm -hmm. a long journey. Maybe three, four years ago, I thought I was in a pretty good place with it. And I queried agents, which is his own whole beast. Yeah. <laughs> and I eventually got one, which I was so excited about. And she was so enthusiastic about the book and she felt really confident about its, you know, chances of being published and published well. And we started talking to editors in, in London and New York. She was based in London. And we got a bunch of really, really beautifully positive rejections. Mm. <laughs> like some of the best compliments I've ever had about my writing were in these rejections. And what most of the editors wanted was the suicide to be more of a plot point. And I really thought about trying to make it that way because so many of these people wanted to publish the book, but they were just like, I need to know more about why this happened. I eventually took it back from my agent and parted ways with her. No hard feelings. Like she She's still a, a fan of the book. And I ended up going with a hybrid publisher, mm -hmm. which is, they kind of call it like the Netflix model of publishing. They still have to green light the project. They only, they only publish a certain amount of books per year. And then I pay to have my book. They do the cover design. They do all the mm -hmm. back-end stuff. And then they get me distributed traditionally, just like any other traditional publisher. So I'm in all the channels. But I didn't get an advance. like So everything for me will be on the back end. Mm -hmm. So it's a different model, but it really allowed me to 
tell the story I wanted to tell. I didn't know that this was going to be part of the story, but it's like I felt so strongly about not treating this the way that most fiction or film treats suicide that I, it has become part of my story. It became how I, even how I published. I really think this is something we need to be talking about. Just like we talk about heart disease, (laughs) anything. It has obviously become a platform and will continue to be, and I'm very open about talking about it, obviously. Is there any coincidence to the beginnings of our understanding of mental health and this book coming out, like that 10 years ago, if you would have written about this, Uh, we would have had a different appetite for it and want to understand who that person was. I think we can very easily assume, like you talked about with your mother, she was full of light. Like it's very easy to assume that this person is chronically depressed and lives in a dark space and, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. I mean, when I think about when my mom was struggling, you know, in the 80s, there was really nobody talking about this stuff and there wasn't the kind of options that there are now. And then I think about when I started the book, it felt so much better. And yet now I think you're right. I think COVID probably had a big part of that where like all of a sudden we all had a, I hate to say it, but almost an excuse (laughs) to talk about our mental health. And it wasn't the elephant in the room anymore. And we all were like, hey, I'm struggling. And they there's so many options of how to care for your mental health have cropped up since then that you're right. And yet it's still, especially suicide, is it's like a hot coal, mm-hmm. you know. And yet there's been a lot of high profile suicides. And <laughs> I also think that the media, like I think about Robin mm-hmm. Williams when he died, everybody rushed to this fact that he'd been diagnosed with this physical illness mm-hmm. very like recently before he died. And everyone was like, oh, that's why, that's why. And yet he was such an honest, open person about his struggle with addiction, mental health, depression. He was a total advocate for talking about it. And even in his own death, I feel like we almost belittled mm. it by trying to make it about this physical diagnosis that he had recently gotten. So it's almost like we rush to find a reason so we don't have to talk about it. And we should talk about it. Well, if there's no reason, then then we are we ourselves are candidates for such a thing. Yeah. Suicide is one of the very few causes of death that really doesn't have a demographic. Yeah. It can it can happen to anybody at, at any time. Not like it can happen, like it happens to us, but it, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah. And sometimes the people that seem to have it the most together are the ones that can't talk about it because people don't won't understand why they're suffering. Like, what do you have to suffer about? Yeah. You make reference to that in the book. There's also a moment in the book where someone talks about this, a song that should play and it's about shoes, a song about shoes. Am I getting that right? And one of the other friends is like, why would we do that? And the the one is just is like, well, why the hell not? And kind of explodes and then describes her, I think the word is her fury. And as I was reading that piece, and I'm not finished, but as I was reading that, I thought of you. And I thought of what must it be like for JJ to be writing these words and processing this in a different way, right? You've processed this. You have your own children. So you've processed this as both a child and a mother, I assume. But what must it be like to write this on behalf of those people that could have been your mother's 
peers? And what did that sort of drum up for you? It was very healing. It was very cathartic because I haven't personally lost a friend Mm -hmm. to suicide. But if I had a friend going through something like this or did lose a friend this way, there's so much more empathy. There's so much less shame. Mm -hmm. And not to say that there's isn't shame and there isn't all the feelings, but you know, you don't have the abandonment. It's quite so much. I mean, it was a lot of shame for me, especially I think it had to do with my age. It's just an age where you don't want to be different. And then like, so I didn't have any of that. And I think I had a lot more heart for this character and in retrospect, my mom, because I was thinking about it as a peer would think about it, you know, which is very different. And I didn't expect that experience. I didn't expect to feel that way. I didn't know I was would, but it has turned out to be like a very healing experience. And I'm older now than my mother ever was, which is a trip. Yeah. And I do have great, wonderful girlfriends, but I have built that, you know, I've created that and I've done that very mindfully, I think, because it's so important to me. Mm. It was an unexpected healing journey. My guess is a lot of people who will gravitate towards it initially will be people who are looking for that healing, who maybe had some of that experience. And then I think there are other people that will read it because it's a, it's a girlfriend's book. Yeah. The relationships are identifiable. You can see yourself and other friends in it. So let's go back to the technical piece. And I want to hit on the Netflix of publishing, because I think you said something really mm-hmm. important. I think there's a... I don't know the statistic, but it's something like one in, you know, every seven people or something wants to write a book, like thinks they have a book in them. And it's such a hard thing to tackle. Mm. But I think today we have more models. There's more opportunity for us to get content out there. So just explain that hybrid model, that Netflix model a little bit more. Yeah. So my publisher is called She Writes Press. Brooke Warner is the woman who started it and she came from traditional publishing and she just felt like she was seeing all these stories that were just not being shared because they were being gatekept and they were good stories and they were good writers, but they didn't have a platform and they didn't have, you know, all the stuff. And it's getting more and more that way in publishing because God, Lord, I've learned so much about publishing that I didn't know before. And I'm probably not going to get it all correct, but there's something like, most authors never make anything past their advance, yeah. even best-selling authors. And the Stephen Kings and the John Grishams of the world are basically keeping the entire industry afloat. And I think that's not a good model. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know much about business, but I don't, I, I don't <laughs> think that's good. And it's kind of this like atmosphere of fear. And like, that doesn't make you want to gamble on a new author. Yeah. So it's getting more and more this way. It's the same reason we have a thousand Marvel movies every year. They know what's going to make them money, and that, that's what they put their time and energy. The sure thing. Yep. So she writes as a hybrid um, publisher, and I, there are more of them. There's not a ton, but I think it's a growing uh, model. You definitely have a lot more control. I get like, I'm not going to say this right, but it's I think like traditional authors only get like 7% of royalties, and that's after you've made back your advance for your publisher. And with hybrid, it's like 75%. It's much more author-friendly. It's much more uh, creator-friendly, whatever that content is, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever. 
but they they still have they're still gatekeepers. Like they're still making sure that the, these stories are good. I mean, like they greenlit my book without a copy edit, but that's because I had already paid to have it copy edited a couple times. Like by the time it came to them, it was in good shape, but they will shepherd you through all of that stuff if your book still needs that, if if they are willing to publish it. So it's it makes sense kind of on both sides. It's a nice balance. Exactly. And I've met so many authors through this who have the most amazing stories and I don't think they would have been published any other way. And the world wants more stories. The world is desperate for more stories. Yeah. And not the same ones, right? And not the same ones. I would say there's a detriment to the same ones because then you start to believe that, you know, a lot of us, when we're reading stories, we're looking for those identifiable characters. We're looking for representation. We're looking for something that speaks to us. And if you don't see that, then you start to feel isolated. You start to feel like, oh, maybe we don't, maybe the world doesn't care about this voice or this story or you know, somebody who looks and acts and like me. Uh, so I think for so many reasons, it's it's a good idea. Go back to pre-writing a book. Something I had said in the intro is that you spend a lot of time wordsmithing, like you've made it your profession. So you're a professional copywriter. People hire you to sound lovely. What was the difference in that professional work and what this allowed you to do? Did you have to catch yourself going, okay, I'm not writing copy, I'm telling a story? No, because it's so different. <laughs> for one thing, I care so much more. And it's not that I don't care about the work I do for my clients, but it's not like I'm not bearing my soul. Yeah. It's like ghostwriting. I'm representing a different person, a different a brand. It's probably more like acting. You know, It's like I can kind of try on a role. Um, I remember when I first started copywriting in my 20s, I was working at Team One Advertising in LA and we did all the Lexus stuff. Uh-huh. And I was like, in my 20s, I drove a Volkswagen Cabrio. Yeah. And I would go buy myself a bottle of red wine and put on classical music. Yeah. <laughs> right? For Lexus. <laughs> like, let me try. Let me try this on for size. Totally. I was like, okay, this is what an adult does. And this is who drives a Lexus. Also, it just comes easier. Now I've been doing it for over 20 years. It's pretty easy for me to mm-hmm. write copy and fun. And this book was not easy. <laughs> Uh, nor fun a lot of the time, although yeah. very important to me. And I just cared, like I said, I just cared so much more and I was so much more terrified about sharing it. It's just a very different feeling to write fiction and especially about something that is so close to my heart. I mean, I, I hope to write more fiction and and maybe it won't have anything to do with anything that is informed by my life, which would be another different experience. And maybe that would be more fun, easier, probably not. I don't know. I appreciate what you're saying in that I imagine our listener going, phew, I don't have to come from a professional wordsmithing background in order to think about telling a story that I have in me, whether it's a personal story or completely fiction or, or whatever that is. So thank you for that. I think it's super helpful. No, I actually think it's more important to be a reader than to be a writer if you want to write. I think it's really important to be a reader. I'm a voracious reader. I read a lot. And um, always have been. And I will say, I think that the copywriting piece that helped me, that I think I'm a good editor. Yeah. I think a lot of writers write and write and write and write. And then they like end up having to cut half their book. And yeah. that doesn't happen to me. I think I write pretty lean. Um, and that's what I like to read too. I, I get overwhelmed when it's a lot of, you know, flowy descriptions and stuff. But some people love that. So that, I do think that helped me in the writing process because editing can be its own monster. Sure. Um, but it wasn't 
too terribly hard for me because I think I kind of do it as I go. And if you don't have that skill set, if that's not sort of part of your DNA, to your earlier point, there are people out there that can help you and can sort of create those bumpers for you. Yeah. And even if it is part of your DNA, you should still hire those people because yeah. it's, you just need another professional set of eyes and hands on your work. I don't know if you said hard or I didn't always like it or something like that. Something on the negative side. What were those things? Can you share? Oh, it's just very, very, very time consuming Yeah, to write a book. Um, but okay. I will also say, I, I feel like I'm making it sound negative. I just don't didn't know it was going to be take that long and be that hard, but I'm also was raising kids and I had a job. And so I, what I would do with the best part thing for me was I had to get out of my house because if I sit down to write copy in my house, great, no problem. But the minute I'm running fiction, which is harder because it's like true to me, um, I can find a hundred thousand things. Like I can mm-hmm. scrub the grout on the bathroom floor <laughs> with a toothbrush <laughs> like a, rather than sit there and try and make my, write my pages. So I would leave. I would literally leave my house. So if I only had a few hours, I would go to a, like a coffee shop. I would go on what my husband called business trips where he would like book me at like an airport hotel with like nothing interesting to look at out the window. And I would just go sit and write for like two days solid. And I had to do it. I had to like get out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. entirely and even out of my house um, to sit and write because it just is, it's very time consuming and you really need to like, I can't, like I can sit down and write some headlines in an hour or two, but to you write chapters of a book, you have to spend time in those characters' worlds and brains and lives and write a lot of stuff that's never going to hit the page. And there's a lot more to it that I'm actually kind of glad I didn't know because I actually, the journey of writing this book has been like the coolest thing. I've met the best people. I've, I've met authors that I always admired and now I can text them. Right. It's been the coolest experience, but it's been also, you know, 10 years of my life. Did anything change from when you first laid this out 10 years ago to now, or has it been a consistent sort of building upon the same characters, the same storyline, the same approach? So it's funny, you say people think they have a book in them. I never thought I had a book in me. And I've been a writer my whole life. I love to write. I used to write poetry before I was a copywriter. I never wrote fiction though. And people would say, oh, you're a writer. You should write a book. And I always said, I have nothing to write about. I don't know what I would write about. Because I didn't. I didn't have an idea, you Mm -hmm. know. And then I was at work one day um, after, you know, I'd had, I had young kids. I was at work as a copywriter in San Francisco at um, 11. That's the name of the agency, not the day. Not the time of day. And (laughs) I realized as I said it, um, 11, it was named from the spinal tap amps that go to 11. And I, it like the idea came to me, like it was from the universe. I had the idea. I had the characters. I knew one of them was going to die by suicide. I knew that that I knew where they were going to live. I mean, I knew their names. It was the weirdest thing. And I took my computer after work that day and went to like a little wine bar around the corner and thought, I'm just going to play with this. And I sat there and the first 30 pages of my book, which have not changed that much, came out of me. Wow. And I thought, this is so fun. This is going to be so easy. Like, look at me writing a book. And then it wasn't easy for the next however many years. But but it was always rewarding. It was always fulfilling. It was always, I always wanted to go back to it. And I think I'm glad it didn't come easy. Like, it shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was crazy. It really it, it felt like almost downloaded to me, like the idea and these characters and there were scenes in the book that happened that way too. There's a few scenes where I, I was like writing, like, where is this coming from? But I'm loving it. This is so fun. 
And then there's tons of it where it was like, oh, and that's not right, you know, come back to it the next day. But as far as the storyline and what I knew was going to happen, that never changed. Wow. I just didn't totally know how it was going to play out for each character. I didn't sure. know how they would be changed. I didn't have that in my head. I kind of almost had to like live through it with them um, and see what made sense. But I didn't have it. Like, I'm not an organized person. I didn't have an outline. Like, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. Frankly. <laughs> There's hope for all of us unorganized author hopefuls. It sort of occurred to me as you're talking about this. Are you like picturing this unfolding like a movie? Is this coming to life in your head and you're imagining like, where's she going next yeah. and what's happening? It's funny. I'm not any of these characters, but I feel like I see it like a movie. I see the rooms, but I'm almost seeing it like I can't see myself. Mm. I'm seeing it as if I'm living it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also seeing it as each character when I'm writing that character. So I'm not one of them necessarily. Right. I mean, I know there's a, there's a narrator, but it's more like I'm in their bodies <laughs> when I'm writing it. Yeah. Seeing around me, like I can see the room, I can see the family members, but I can't really see myself. Like I don't, I know what these characters look like, but it's kind of a vague, almost like through frosted glass. Right. I've noticed that you've been in other sort of writing circles. Um, I think I saw something on LinkedIn or something and there was a group of authors do they describe their writing experience in a similar way? Like, No. I don't think there's any one way. I think some people are incredibly organized and have everything figured out before they even start, which I think actually, I might be biased, but I actually think that can harm you because part of the writing process is just seeing where it takes you. And yeah. I think if it takes you away from what you thought, that could stop you. Some people are like, I get up every day at 5 a.m. and I write two for two hours. And I'm like, oh, hell no, I would never do that. Um but I think good for them, and that's what works for them. Yeah. Um, so, no, I think writing is one of the few things where you just need to put in the time. It's really just a time thing. It's the, what's the 10,000 hours? It's yeah. probably more like 50,000 hours, yeah. but it's like you just <laughs> need to put the time in and not give up. Yeah. If you believe in your story, if you believe in your writing, like, it's worth it to stick with it. I do think, I do think you need to find community because it's such an isolating career or – hobby, whatever it ends up being. One of my very first things I did was when uh, I loved this author, Laura Munson, um, her book, she has a fiction out now, but her first book was memoir. It was called, this is not the story you think it is. And I absolutely devoured that book. I loved it so much. I like wanted to roll around in it. I looked her up after I read that book and saw that she had a writing retreat. And actually when I told, I didn't even tell my husband, Tim, that I was writing this book until for like a few months because I had such imposter, imposter syndrome about it. I was like, he's going to laugh at me. When I finally told him, he's like, oh my God, that's amazing. You should go on a retreat. <laughs> and I remembered this retreat. And so I went on this retreat and sh and I brought my first like 30 pages with me and she loved them. And like, it was really the first time where I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm actually going to do this. And she's become a mentor and I've been back to Montana and she's now become a friend. And she's actually going to be at an event with me in San Francisco in about a week and a half in conversation with me about my book, which is crazy. Oh, wow. So I've been on that retreat. I've been on the Northern California Writers Retreat, which was another amazing experience. And I came away from that. I just ended up really bonding with these two other authors, all of us aspiring authors. And we have stayed, the three of us, as writing partners. And we won't talk to each other for like six months, but then we'll be like, here's my latest draft. Can you read it? And let's talk in a week. And we'll We've done that for each other. And my book's coming out next week. My friend Corinne's book is coming out next summer. And my other friend Caro's book better come out soon because it's amazing. 
and she's still in the getting it, you know, picked up by an editor process. But um, I really think you have to have that. You have to have somebody else's perspective. You have to have somebody else that knows what you're going through, like anything, really. Sure. But um, there's something about writing that is, it's hard for like a lawyer or like you know business person to understand what exactly you're going through on a day-to-day basis when you're really like kind of like living in your head yeah. by yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of women who are listening, I, I myself I totally relate to this as an entrepreneur. You're pretty much on your own all the time. You're in your own head. Even if you have a team of people, it can be isolating and there are groups, there are opportunities to find other founders um, to hang out with and to bounce things off of. And so it makes total sense that there would be the same with authors, the same need, and that the same thing actually exists. And I love this writing partner idea. I know a few friends who are aspiring authors, and I think that's been probably the saving grace for all of them, is having those one or two people that they can bounce ideas off of, they can check in with on a frequent enough basis, right? Because everybody's busy with life. Any groups you recommend? Well, both of those retreats were really incredible experiences. I also did a really cool thing through, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, San Francisco, um, the Writer's Workshop. It's okay. Tell the story, and then okay. when you remember, we'll include it in the show notes. So it's all online, mm-hmm. and it's through um, a writing group in San Francisco, and it's called The Round Robin. Mm-hmm. And I've done this maybe like three or four times over the years, and it's like a six- to eight-week thing. And there's a moderator, and there's maybe, I don't know, 30 writers. And what you get is you get a prompt every day and you have to commit at the beginning, like I will do this every day for 10, 15 minutes, but you have to do it every day. And, um, you get a prompt, you write for 10 or 15 minutes. That's it. You like set a timer. Don't let yourself go on and on and on. And then you don't edit every week. You have a email partner and I email my piece to that person and that person emails their piece back to me. And then the only thing we respond to is what we liked about it. There's no criticism. It's just kind of like, this is the piece that really spoke to me. I really thought this was great. I love this. And you can be workshopping a project, like a book, or you could just be writing about whatever like comes out of your brain that, that minute. And it's just like, there was just something about that that just got me going. And mm-hmm. a lot of scenes from my book came out of the writing that I did with those partners. Because uh, sometimes I would write from my character's point of view, and sometimes I would have it would be nothing about it. But it was, you know, forcing yourself to do it and responding to somebody else. So it's it's like strengthening the muscle of writing and also critique, but in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Like it made you look at your own writing differently, I think, because as a writer, you're always thinking what's not working, what's not working. Um, so that was a very uh, cool thing that I did. I really recommend. I don't know if other organizations do that. I don't know if this is the only one, but that has been really helpful for me. And my little trio writing group of three, we just kind of found each other. I, I think it's really like find writing that speaks to you or find an author like with Laura. I mean, I never expected that I would know this author and actually become friends with her, but I I reached out and here we are. So I also think don't be afraid to reach out. Authors are just humans that like lived in their brains and then wrote about it and then like love to hear from people a lot of the time. And so reach out. I mean, worst case scenario, you don't hear back, but you could end up knowing these people. Sure. Look for opportunities to engage with other writers. And when you find one that, or two or three or however many that really 
um, resonate with you, like keep it up, try to stay in touch with those people and, and share. You may be sorry that you just said that because I have a feeling you'll get some DMs now. <laughs> Great. People will DM be me. like, uh, I heard you say on the Liberty Road podcast, so I'm DMing you now. Perfect. You've talked about the writers groups. You've talked about the publishing model that you went with. Any sort of words of caution on like, hey, I did this and I don't recommend it? Okay. How do I say this? <laughs> the very first writing writers conference I ever went to, I was just starting my book and I went to a writers conference. And I walked in there so hesitant and unsure of myself. And what I found were all these people who thought they had the next Harry Potter in them. And they were so confident. And they would pitch it to you. What's your book about? Here's my book. This is what I'm... And I was like so overwhelmed by that. So it's more like... like I came back from it and I said to my husband, oh my God, babe, writers are really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so confident that they about their idea. And I was so not confident about my idea. And so like, I'm just think this thing. And so I don't know. I mean, it's like almost being careful of other writers. Um, be careful of writers who think that they've got the next big, big John Grisham novel and want to tell you all about it. Yeah. Because that's not a writer. I doubt John Grisham felt that way when he started writing. So I think one of the best books about writing that's ever been written is from by Stephen King. It's called On Writing. And he he's so humble, you know, and he's Stephen freaking King. And it's like, that's, I think, how you have to approach anything that matters to you in life is with like curiosity and humility and like, can I do this thing? I want to do this thing. Um, so I guess just like false confidence. I mean, hey, fake it till you make it, I guess. But I just... I don't know if that's the way to go about writing. Yeah. It's interesting. I hear two things in that. I hear one, that person doesn't serve other writers. Yeah. And so if you run into that, look at me. I didn't feel the same confidence. And yet look at me. I'm now a published author. The other thing is when you write from that point of view or with that confidence, I'm not sure that you are keeping the reader in mind. I think mm. it's almost a narcissistic approach to writing. Like I have something you need to hear it versus mm -hmm. I want to tell a story that will enrich you. Right. Yes. And I, I agree. I think a lot of those people were wanting to make money mm. and I don't think most true writers start writing because they want to make money. I mean, you're, like, I don't know how much money I'll make on my book, but I guarantee it won't pay me back for the last 10 years. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. That's not, I mean, I, I wrote this book because I wanted to write it and I, I'm excited to have readers. Like that's amazing. And for people to have thoughts about it and talk to me about it, that's so cool. That's my currency. And um, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to make a best-selling book. And it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, try, go ahead. But that's not why you should do it. Um, most writers write because they can't not write. And that's how I felt about this. Once the idea came, I couldn't not write it. And I never knew that it was going to be published ever. Like there was no part of me that's like, this is going to be published. And because of that, I wasn't writing for any other purpose than, than wanting to write this book. You know, I mean, it, it, I wasn't even really thinking about next steps. I didn't really think about next steps until I was basically done because I didn't even know what that meant. So I learned as along the way and I figured it out. But even when I got my agent and thought I would like, and when I got my agent, I was like, oh, I am in the clear. Like this is, 
I just did the hardest thing because it was really hard to get an agent. I mean, really, I thought I was like off to the races. And then there were so many more gates that I didn't Mm. know about. Even the way my book was published, that changed. And by the way, for our listeners, we will make sure to have the publishing. What did you, what was the name of it? She, she writes. And the other thing I wanted to say about when you were talking about community, um, I, I wanted to bring this up is that she writes press, which is all women authors. And then they have another arm that is spark press, which has, um, men too. Okay. They are so good about creating community with, among our authors. Like I have a cohort, all of the people that are publishing in the spring of 2023 are our own cohort. And we have a little secret Facebook group And we connect on there and we share things with each other. And then the She Writes community at large is connected. And I went to a retreat in Santa Fe in December. And all the She Writes authors that were there had a big dinner one night um, that Brooke put on that was lovely. I mean, so she's really good about creating community among her authors. And that is not true in traditional publishing. I think it's much more kind of like a a competition, right? Like you're not friends with your competition. And I don't know, because I've never been in that world. But from what I've heard, it can be a little bit more cutthroat. So there's a lovely community, even in just being published by She Writes. And I imagine other hybrid publishers are are trying to do the same. That's awesome. And she's smart, because she also knows that what will come of that is more people touting the work that they're doing, more good stories coming their way. And then all of you are promoting each other, too. You're all excited about each other. You're all wanting to see the other person succeed because you're not necessarily in competition with one another. You're right smack in the middle of this demographic that we're talking to. You're in your own midlife experience. You pushed through that 10 years. A lot of women who are in this stage of life think that maybe that ship has sailed, whatever that Mm. is, right? But there's so much more. We're living well longer This is kind of, to me, it's this inflection point of stop, pause, what's working, what's not working, what do I want now? I, you know, I know myself a little bit more. I'm a little bit more full of myself. We spend all this attention on adolescence and then 20s and then 30s and then it's 40 plus. 40 plus, like what? And what do I have in common with somebody who's 82 and trying to, you know, figure out whatever their issues are. So so that's a very long way of asking, JJ. What do you say to that friend who's like, you did it and congratulations, hats off. I couldn't do that. First of all, I took a quiz this morning. You did? That your physical age yeah. versus your actual age and then your longevity. It was like a longevity quiz. And it told me that my physical age is 27, which I felt really proud of, and that, my, that I'm going to live to be 103. So I got a lot more... <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got a lot more to, to go, a lot more, a <laughs> so, lot more anyway, books, a lot more, uh, lot that more. Was, that was a surprise. Wow. That's um, awesome. But I will say, but I'm, what I was starting to say is I feel like I'm looking around at my friends and a lot of my friends are starting to have empty nest mm-hmm. um, or are looking ahead at that, you knowing that that's coming and they're doing the coolest stuff. Mm-hmm. They really are. They are like either getting back into work that they did or getting into work that they want to do, that they know they want to do for the next 20 years, or they are going back to school. And I really, it's like, I'm seeing almost this like renaissance Mm -hmm. of my friends and it's so cool. And I mean, I almost feel a little bit like I'm like, I'm I'm a little ahead of the game only because I've, my book is just now coming out and I'd like to write more, but I'm just blown away by what I'm seeing other women 
our age doing. And your, your podcast is so amazing. I, I'm always loving the stories that I hear and I'm so inspired by them. One of my good friends, she's like really into um, like facts and anthropology and stuff. And she said that apparently like anthropologically in like tribal cultures, women past ch- childbearing ages were the most productive, like mm-hmm. gathered the most grain and, you know, like did the mo- because it's like all this energy <laughs> that our bodies were like, and our brains were, were funneling outward is like all ours again. And, and only ours really. I mean, not only ours, but it's like, you can just give it right back to yourself. So I actually think it's super cool and I can't wait to see what everyone's doing. I'm so happy and grateful for you, your podcast and other things like this that are, that are shining a light on this second half of women's lives, because I feel like society and most of media wants, like you said, just shut it down. Like just like the curtain drops. It's like, Oh, baby's done. You're done. Yeah. And it's couldn't be further from the truth. It's like the polar opposite of that. It's like, no, these are the people that are going to go off and do the coolest things. Yeah, I, I get on a soapbox sometimes. I'm like, you give women the mic, you give women the pen, you give women the platform. At this age, we can heal half the world's problems. Give us five years. Or more. <laughs> we'll get it done. I we'll get agree. It done. I couldn't agree more. So I feel strongly about that. And it's not a correction. It's just an addition to what you said. I don't think of it as the second half. I think of it as the middle third because of what I said earlier. What we're dealing with in our 40s, 50s, and 60s is very different than what a 70, 80, and 90-year-old are looking for. In your case, a 103-year-old, right? What we want out of life is different. What we what makes us happy is different. What we're looking forward to is different. And I want us to carve out this space just for us. That's what we want to shine a light on. And that's what we want to represent in um, having awesome people like you on and really appealing to the things in her life that she's dealing with, whether it's the emotional things, the hopeful things that I still want to do things. That's what we're here to unpack uh, with you guys. I love that. And I feel, I do, I feel like the conversations we're having among women and among friends are just getting more interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's cool. I like it. It is really cool. I saw, I don't know why. I mean, I know why clearly I'm attracted to these things, but it turns out that they're very sort of midlife stories, but the, the Catherine Hahn series that just came out, Hello Sunshine did, what's it called? Tiny, Tiny beautiful, beautiful things. things. I sat on my couch and I didn't leave until I watched every episode. I was obsessed with it. And I thought in the beginning, my husband was like, what are you watching? And I described it to him and he's like, have fun. Uh, Do you want anything? Let me get you something from the kitchen. And then he sort of came back in and he's like, this is really good and was in with me. And then there was another one. I can't remember it right now. I won't take time to try and recall. But there was another one recently that I just watched that had a very similar complex midlife female. There's things about her you loved. There's things about her you loathed. There's things about her that scared you. Um, because you identified so, so well. And I think though more and more of those stories are coming out because we're demanding them, because we're showing up and saying, you guys are missing a big chunk of what's important to us. Even the morning show, Jennifer Aniston's character, what's it like to feel like you're aging out? What's it like to be on the other side of what the world has deemed success? And now it's like, perhaps time for you to make room for someone else. It's just interesting to watch and for us to 
to find ourselves in. When you're talking about women being able to, being able to solve the problems of the world, I mean, all the a lot of that stuff you're just talking about, a lot of that content, that's all Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. She's our age. She's, you know, she's one of us. And she has done an amazing job of putting these complicated, complex female characters that aren't 20 yeah. on the screen. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're here and we want to see that too. And that's good for younger people to see too, because that's not what we saw growing no. up. We saw like Mrs. Brady. Yeah. And I don't know. And we can't even, Mrs. Roper. Yeah. <laughs> It was not good She was models. way more fun than Mrs. Brady. I'll be Mrs. Roper any day. I yeah. mean, I do love I do love a caftan, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and a cocktail. <laughs> and a cocktail and really chunky jewelry. Yes. And meanwhile, we find out later that Mrs. Brady was like having a fling with one of the yeah. actors that played her kid. Yeah. Like, good for her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just want to say, I mean, thank you, Reese Witherspoon, for yeah. like talk about greenlighting content um, that people care about. And I was just on a podcast last week. I think it's going to come out in the next couple of weeks. Um, and it's called Pop Fiction Women, mm -hmm. which is another good thing for listeners. Um, their whole thing is talking about complicated female characters and why they like them and like what's their damage and what they're struggling, what the characters are str struggling with. They just, they, then they um, interview authors that write about complicated women. It's very cool. So I think that these are conversations that are happening and, you know, amen to that. Amen to that for sure. Okay. Before we let you go, there's so many great nuggets here for the hopeful author. So thank you for those. But we've got our fast five. Okay. So what's a daily practice that keeps you grounded? I just recently started doing this and I'm loving it. Um, I saw a TikTok that said that I should, in the morning, like I always would go straight to coffee. I've been drinking coffee since I was 14 years old. Um, and they're saying, no, what you should really do in the morning is have a glass of water, put a little lemon juice in there and a little sea salt. And it's like for your electrolytes. Yeah. So I started doing that. That was great. That felt good. And then while I'm drinking that cup in the morning, my first glass of water with my sea salt and lemon, I start thinking about words that I want to have part of my day. And I always start with gratitude. And it could be, you know, strength. It could be confidence. It could be abundance. It could be generosity. You know, whatever is just feel, is on my heart. I just think those things while I'm drinking my water. So I'm kind of like putting it into my body and my mind at the same time. Mm. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes uh, it's winning at tennis yeah. is what I do. <laughs> so it's not always high-minded, but it is a really nice way to start my day. I like just having this carved out time of intention and it's not overwhelming. You're drinking a glass of water. No. I'm pour literally pouring this goodness, this nutrition in, you know, metaphorically and physically. I love that. Uh, and what are you reading? Which is a fun question to ask an author. Mm. Oh, well, I just finished it and I was actually so sad to finish it. I've um, just finished a book by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who's very hot right now um, with Daisy Jones and the Six and Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Love those books a lot, a lot, love them. Um, love the show, Daisy Jones and the Six. But I picked up this book. It's called One True Loves. She had a bunch of books that she'd written before she even hit it big. So I think it's an earlier book of hers. And there's no rock stars in it. There's no um, you know Hollywood starlets. But it's just about a, a normal woman, an ordinary woman in an extraordinary situation where her husband had gone down with a plane. He was on a journalist assignment. And she had mourned him and... Like he was the love of her life, but he he was gone. And then she moves on and finds another love and gets engaged. And then he contacts her. He had been living like on a deserted island or something and like 
Um, I know. it's, But it's beautifully written, and it's just a normal person that's found herself in this, like, absolutely crazy situation, and I loved it. I, I always think that's a good sign when you're sad. When you're when sad, the book is over. yeah. I mean, all of her writing is amazing, but this is this is a really, really good book. And what do you do to relax? Um, maybe tennis. You may have given that away. I don't know. But what do you do to just kind of unwind? No, um, I'm, tennis isn't relaxing because I'm like, too competitive. I wanna, yeah. <laughs> no, but I love it. It's so good for me mentally and physically. But um, no, I take baths almost every night. I have my little salts. I usually have a glass of wine and I read. That's where I read. Yeah. My whole family knows it's basically like from six to seven or five to six or whatever. Mom's Mom's in, right. having her bath time. <laughs> and it really is like a vacation. It's like giving myself a little vacation at the end of the day, probably like five days a week. That's a good one. We actually got rid of the one bath that was in our house. Mm. So if you if you come over and need a bath, I'll have to, we'll rent a bathtub. Sounds gross. We'll just buy one. <laughs> <laughs> we recently bought a house and I, like when we were looking, we'd been looking for a long, long time. Every so often there'd be a house without a bathtub. And I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. Hard can't no. do it. I mean, you could, you could always put one in, but it was just like, no. Why? That is an absolute must for me. I appreciate a woman who knows what she wants. And 25-year-old JJ, what do you want to tell her? What would you, if you could go back and tell her um, about midlife? Oh, I would, I would tell her she's going to be okay. Mm. <laughs> I would tell her that she's not only going to be okay, she's going to be happier than she could have thought possible. But that would be because she's going to do the work and she's going to be mindful about what she does with her energy and who she spends it with. And, and that's good. She's going to be really happy. Mm. And I, I just, I think about the 20s where, I mean, I had great, I, love, I lived in LA. I had great friends. It was a good time in so many things, but I was just, there was so much I was still grieving and it was hard. It's hard to be in your 20s and yeah. And grieving. So I really didn't, I didn't know that I could be as happy as I am. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I would tell her that she's going to be okay. We should say that to all 25 year olds we run into, right? Right. Just remind them. It's like, do you ever do this? When I see moms with little kids, you know how like when we had little kids, yeah. people would be like, just enjoy it. It's so wonderful. I, know. I go up to moms and I'm like, you're going to be okay yeah. in like three years. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Hang I've done this there. to women in grocery yeah. stores because I can tell that they're just like, they're like I know. barely hanging on. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Give it a few years. There should be like a movement where women our age just go to, well, you just identify women with young children and you like somehow pay it forward. And this podcast is called Liberty Road. So we have to ask this question. What has, and I don't want to just say publishing this book, putting this out in the world, because we can all imagine how liberating that must feel. But the whole process, writing it, finding a publisher, connecting with these writing groups, developing these great relationships, how has this liberated the woman, J.J. Elliott? You know, I think it brought me back to myself um, in a way that I, so is that, that is, that's a liberation for me. I think you spend a lot of time and when you're having kids and I was working and it's like, you're giving a lot of the energy away and you're happy to do it. It's fulfilling. And um, I think that this was a way for me to come back to myself. Like I said at the beginning, I've always loved to write and I stopped writing for me when I started writing for clients. And it was my therapist when I had little kids that said to me, what do you do for you? And I think I've made some BS thing. Like I, 
take baths. And she mm. was like, no, no, no. What do you do? Like, what do you, what did you, what do you do? And I, I was totally stumped. And she said, well, what did you used to do before you had kids? And I was like, oh my God, I used to write. I used to write. And it was really like the first time that I kind of gave myself permission to go back to that person that just loved words mm -hmm. and didn't necessarily have to get paid for them. Um, so it really brought me back to like something that I've is, is a, been a true love of my whole entire life and, and gave me permission to, to just enjoy that again. I'm so glad that that therapist said that to you. Me too. She's the first person I think in my acknowledgements. Aww, as well, she should be so excited for people to get a hold of this. 10 years worth of work and heart and outpouring and thoughtfulness. I'm excited for you and what's next. And thank you so much for spending this time with us and being so open about your process. I so appreciate it, JJ. Thank you. This is amazing. Thank you so much, Netta. Absolutely. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys for hanging out with JJ and with me and go get the book. Again, we'll have all of the things that JJ mentioned in the show notes so you guys can have access to that. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye for now. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 